while we get our guests hooked up, uh, Toshiko Hasegawa is going to be our, our guest. She's uh, kind of for the Seattle Port Commission. And I uh, want to say before we even get started, uh, we'll be joined today by uh, Claude Burfick, who is uh, first vice president of the Seattle branch of the NAACP and also with the King County Labor Council. Hayward Evans is with the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee and wears several other hats as well. In the meantime, uh, over the next uh, three weeks, uh, we will be, we've invited uh, uh, Ms. Sarah Nelson, who is running for uh, Seattle City Council position number nine. She's on hold right now. Stephanie Bowman is running for re-election for Seattle Port Commission position three. And Nikita Oliver is also a candidate for Seattle City Council position number nine. At the end of the program today, we'll have uh, Josh Griffin, who is a program operations manager for the Center for Communication Differences Equity. It's a long title at the University of Washington. Uh, and also Jebediah uh, Gardner, who is the CEO of Gardner Global. And that will be about the 60th uh, anniversary uh, of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s only visit to Seattle. And uh, he did speak at two assemblies at Garfield High School. As a matter of fact, uh, Glary Gossett was a sophomore at Garfield at the time and was in the assembly. And uh, Dr. Carver Gayton was a teacher uh, at Garfield during that time. As you know, he was invited back here by Reverend McKinney and the Mount Zion Brotherhood. And the long story is why one church downtown rescinded their invitation. So uh, uh, do we have uh, Ms. Hasegawa on, uh, Eric? Yes, I'm here. Okay, good, good. Because so, we're on a real tight schedule. Uh, thank, welcome for taking uh, for participating in the Canada's Forum. So uh, I'd like to have you uh, expedite this, take two minutes just to give our listeners an idea of who Toshiko Hasegawa is. And then we have... Uh, three specific questions we wanted you to address. So go right ahead and thank you. Thank you so much, Eddie, for hosting this space. I'm so glad to join you and all of our listeners once again. My name is Toshiko Grace Hasegawa. I'm a fourth generation Japanese American. And actually my American story begins through the port of Seattle, uh, where I'm running to serve for the port commission position number four. You know, my grandparents arrived in search of economic opportunity for themselves. And then they set down roots in Beacon Hill, in the Beacon Hill neighborhood of South Seattle, because due to the exclusionary redlining laws, it was one of the only places where Japanese were allowed to live at the time. And so they were there to make an economic future for themselves. And, um, and you know, being raised near the seaport and the airport, we've seen uh, the impact the port has on our communities. Now, uh, you know, I serve as executive Oh, we lost the Sasagawa. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, why don't we uh, uh, go ahead and uh, and uh, take a break, Eric, and just we see we can reconnect with her. She'll just, that'll just have to come out of her time. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the Port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at Port Seattle. Org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. 
Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. Okay, Eric, thank you very much. We're having technical difficulties with uh, Ms. Toshiko Hasegawa. We'll have to reschedule her interview. We want everybody to hear what she has to say and what her qualifications are. But uh, thankfully, we've had uh, uh, Sarah Nelson, uh, who is uh, CL City Council candidate for position number nine, on standing by, and we appreciate you being on top of it. So if you would go ahead, uh, Candidate Nelson, and give our listeners an idea of your background, take a couple of minutes to talk about who you are, and uh, uh, we'd appreciate hearing that. All right. Thank you for having me on. I am Sarah Nelson running for citywide position nine. I came to Seattle in 1990 to get a PhD in cultural anthropology at UW, and I taught for a couple years and then decided to uh, basically bail on academia to be able to stay in Seattle and have a more direct impact on my community through public service. So I took a job in council member Richard Conlin's office in 2002, and that was back when council was a functioning body. And I um, I worked on landmark legislation to increase transit and housing and climate protections. And what I learned is that good policy is made by paying attention to detail and, and involving the voices and perspectives of stakeholders. Uh, so uh, meanwhile, my husband, who is a home brewer, uh, decided that he wanted a uh, he wanted to start a, a brewery. So I um, I helped launch Fremont Brewing in Seattle, and um, that was in 2009. We have about 80 employees now, and we're known for uh, giving back to our community, leading the craft beer industry in sustainability, and uh, providing extensive benefits for our employees, um, including paid family leave, health care that we extend to their families. Um, and I tell you, we were hit hard by COVID, but we managed not to lay anybody off due to COVID and we increased wages to make up for lost tips. So I'm running now because I'm concerned about my city and uh, I believe that the uh, extremist policies of city council aren't working, uh, especially for our most vulnerable. I'm concerned about lives being lost in encampments and to gun violence and, uh, and black and brown people being driven out of their homes and business districts through gentrification. And so basically what I say is that if you think things are going well in Seattle, I'm not your candidate because I'm running a change campaign. I'm running to bring some accountability back to back to city council and to focus on the issues that matter most in people's daily lives. And I appreciate this opportunity to talk about uh, the issues that you raised and then to say a little bit more at the end. Thank you. Uh, okay, we, well, we, I'm glad that you are moving forward, uh, uh, entrepreneur, uh, your family's in entrepreneurship and ownership. And so one of the things we want to talk about is equality and your perspectives on affirmative action. You may or may not know that uh, African descendants of the United States enslaved, I have to separate ourselves. We've been here 400 years, died in every war. And a lot of people don't want, don't want to remember that, oh, you know, Blacks want something for nothing. But, you know, we got 254 years of slavery to start with. I think that's something. But I'd like to have your perspective on affirmative action and how you will go out to make sure that African descendants of the United States are included in the city's business. All right. Well, I campaigned against I-200 back in the day. So um, I am extremely concerned about, about um, affirmative action. And uh, when I was talking to Tabor the other day, I basically said that, you know, um, we're willing to take a risk on, uh, on a city income tax. Why don't we take a risk on increasing contracts for Black business owners? And let's just if if there's a will, there's a way. Let's do that because um, because what I'm seeing when I'm talking to black business owners is that they are being excluded from contracting. We've got to make sure that our responsible builder, um, you know, uh, regulations with uh, the labor unions that we are uh, working with on public projects are actually fulfilling the terms of those contracts. And and here's what it comes down to. I believe that access to the opportunity to build generational wealth is key to transformational change. And until we have uh, affirmative action back on the books, what I can do is I can help uh, 
support black business owners by um, by increasing the capacity for low interest loans, foreclosure prevention for 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 residents that are trying to stay in their communities. I know what small businesses need and I know how to help. And so that is uh, that's why it's important to have a small business owner on city council and uh, and helping to build back up our black businesses and, and strengthen those communities and retain those jobs. Have you reviewed any of the disparity studies? There's been eight or 10 disparity studies showing a discrimination against African descent of the United States enslaved. Have you re uh, reviewed any of the disparity studies? No, I have not. Please explain. Disparity studies shows you the discrimination where the city, the state could have taken corrective action. All you needed was approved discrimination and nothing has been done. And you mentioned I-200. I-200 did not kill affirmative action. Gary, Governor Gary Locke's uh, Governor's Directive 98-01 killed affirmative action. And further, in 2003, the Supreme Court ruled uh, that uh, I-200 did not kill affirmative action. It, it, it killed gender and racial preferences. So even on the voters pamphlet, it says it does not kill affirmative action. That's the mentality because we have a whole uh, different, I mean, it's all coming out with Donald Trump. A lot of the mentality and the attitudes of people that work in various government agencies that don't want to see affirmative action. So a lot of the issues have to do with the workforce. Uh, but I, I, I would suggest you re, you uh, review those. If you're going to help us, like you say you are, I would suggest you review that so you have the empirical data that you need to see we've been discriminated against. But I want to give, uh, go right ahead. No, I certainly will do that. And I will use every... Uh, Every bit of leverage I have as a city council member to to correct these wrongs and create more opportunity. So thank you very much for directing okay. me there. Now this is a really important issue. So I want to see first of all if uh, Claude or either Hayward, Claude Burfick or, or Hayward has a question. A short yeah. question, y'all. Uh, uh, Sarah, first thank you for being here, Sarah. My question is going to go straight to the point. For the descendants of the enslaved. In the, in the city of Seattle, over 50% of the black businesses have gone out of business since the passage of I-200, November 1998. What can we do to establish or get those businesses back or at least generate a, uh, a program that's going to uh, assist people into restarting their businesses? How would that come about? Well, we need to uh, provide forgivable loans for black entrepreneurs so that they can that they can uh, that, that, so that they have a down payment and and then um, assist with uh, connections with low interest loans for then on out. So I believe that there is so much more that the city can do. It's also a question of land use. You know, these small businesses are being driven out of business uh, districts, and uh, developers are consolidating these parcels and creating uh, street level spaces that are too big for small businesses to afford. We have to give a, the right of first refusal for, for those businesses that have been displaced when those properties are redeveloped so that they get first choice. We need to require that, that, that those businesses come back in affordable housing projects and incentivize developers to, uh, to, uh, to rent to those businesses themselves. And then also create flexibility so that we can actually allow businesses, smaller businesses to occupy those huge new spaces because this is what's happening is gentrification is driving out these businesses. And so there's so much more that we can do to not just help individual business owners, but business districts to maintain those businesses and, and bring them back. And this is good because it, it these are the nodes of our community and these are where the jobs are. And that's what we've got to do. Will there be a quota? A quota for small businesses? Yeah, I'm talking about the number of black folks you're going to bring back. Is there going to be a number? I say as, as many as possible. Okay. Look, we're down. We're, uh, we have, we have keeping everybody to the same time. So we're down. We didn't get to police reform, but um, we'll have another conversation, I'm sure. But I'd like to have you just go ahead and take a minute because we have to be fair with everyone. And uh, I'm sorry about that, but I appreciate you starting early. Uh, so if there's anything that you'd like to say, why you're the best suited for the position, Claude, you'll get the next question the next go around. But what, so what, what differentiates you from your opponent and what makes you more qualified than any, any other individuals from this office? 
Well, what what differentiates me is that I am um, I represent a change from the status quo. I'm the antidote to council's dysfunction on the ballot. We don't need more of the same extremist policies that really are not working. I'm a pragmatic, progressive person, and I uh, I will be putting forward solutions that can make a difference right now in people's daily lives. And I've got the government experience and the small business experiences to help rebuild our city and uh, and get Seattle back on the right track. Okay, Sarah, I wanna thank you very much once again. And I'm uh, uh, happy that you're gonna review those disparity studies and maybe you can bring those to uh, other people's attention. If you're elected, maybe you can also bring it to the attention of your fellow council members. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All righty. Uh, our next guest is uh, uh, Stephanie Bowman, who is seeking re-election uh, for position number, is it, is it three? Yeah, position number three. Uh, Stephanie Bowman? Eddie, this is Stephanie. I'm on the line. Okay, Stephanie, great. Okay, we're, you're on with uh, Claude Murphy from uh, uh, the King County Labor Council, first vice president of the Seattle NAACP, and Hayward Evans from the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee. The Seattle King County Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee. And uh, so anyway, we sent out a few instructions. One or two just to take uh, two minutes to just uh, talk about your background. And uh, for our listeners who are not familiar with you, uh, speak to them and just let them know about some of your accomplishments. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I'm really glad that you all are hosting these forums. For those that don't know me, uh, my name is Stephanie Bowman. I'm a currently serving Port of Seattle Commissioner. I've been on the commission for about six and a half years. Um, I wanted to take a quick step back, though, and and let you know what I do during the day as well. The Port Commission is a part-time position. Um, During the day, I run a statewide nonprofit, a social impact organization called Washington ABC that works with low-income residents and communities to help them build financial assets to move into the middle class. Things like home ownership, small business development, getting people into mainstream banking, um, and developing savings. And I've been doing that work for 10 years. You might think when you hear that, that that doesn't have anything to do with the Port of Seattle, but I've learned over my years on the Port Commission, in fact, the two jobs that I have are very much related. Um, While in my day job, I help people at the micro level on their day-to-day lives at the Port, We do the same thing where we invest in the region's assets in order to help everybody move up um, and for me to have a vibrant middle class in the greater Puget Sound region. Um, I'm really proud of the work that I've done on the Port Commission in my time there. I'm actually the only Port Commissioner that worked in the industry prior to serving, and I'm only the fifth woman ever to have served on the Port of Seattle Commission in over 110 years. Um, During my time there, I think that you all on the call that know me, um, I have really focused my efforts on trying to make sure that we are truly the port of opportunity, that we use these public assets to make sure that everybody is having a chance to um, get their foot in the door with what the port does, whether it's at the airport or at the seaport, in our fishing industry, with our small business development, that folks around the region all have a real opportunity to benefit from the investments that the port makes. I have fought really hard for um, equality and equity while on the Port Commission. Um, Hayward and um, Eddie, you guys know me as being the point person since my first days on the commission of fighting against Initiative 200. Spent a lot of time down in Olympia working on that effort because it is definitely something that has held the port back in terms of um, being able to do more contracting. So with that, I'll, I'll stop and I'd be happy to take any of your questions. Okay, I'm gonna have, uh, uh, I'm gonna let uh, Claude Murphy, uh, King County Labor Council and the NAACP have the question. Uh, Stephanie, uh, my name is Claude Murphy and uh, I have a pressing question uh, roughly, there are about 4,000 workers uh, at the port, and only roughly approximately 80 of those workers are black, which makes up less, or it makes up 0.8%, not even 1%. What are we going to do about this disparity uh, with only approximately 80 uh, black workers? 
How are we going to go about improving that and bringing in more black workers at the port? That is a great question, and I'm going to put even a finer point on that. When you look at the organization at the top of the port of Seattle for the executives, we have a huge lack of minorities as well. And so, and that's the culture change that we're bringing about. I'm really proud that three years ago we opened up the first office of diversity, equity, and inclusion at the Port of Seattle, and we've got a great director who you may know, Bukta Geishar. Um, her job when we developed that office, and this was a commission-led effort, um, our executive director agreed with the effort, but this was something that the commission said, we need to make sure that we have an office dedicated to this. It is not only about um, making sure the port programs are reaching out to the community, but looking internally and saying, does our workforce actually represent the population in King County? I want the Port of Seattle, the people that work there, to look like our communities. Some things we can do initially is just looking internally and saying, what are the opportunities that we're providing to current employees to allow them to move up into executive positions, right? And, you know, we all know how it goes. You know, you get into a job, and if sometimes if you're not the person saying, gosh, I don't see myself in that role as a, as a director or a senior director, it takes somebody to go walk over to you and say, hey, I see a lot of talent in you. What can we do to help you move up? That's the sort of culture that I'm trying to develop at the Port of Seattle. So starting with our own employees right now, those that might be in, um, you know, more administrative positions, which I'll be real candid, tend to be women and tend to be African-American women. Um, let's just be honest about it. Um, I've really taken it upon myself as the only woman on the Port Commission to be able to try and help those women in particular move up through the organization. What we need are not just advocates, but more policies to be able to say, hey, we're going to move these folks up. And then when we're looking at our hiring practices, making sure that, you know, our hiring managers are looking at candidates that have a variety of experience and maybe not just the technical experience of a four-year degree or a master's degree, really taking into consideration somebody's lived experience, what they bring to the table, because in my personal experience, that is a much better indicator of how successful an employee will be a fit for an organization rather than just looking at how many years they went to school. Hayward, do you have a question or a comment? Yeah, first, thanks, Stephanie, for being here with us. And thank you for all the work that you've done down in Olympia to, to try to get this uh, I-200 overturned. Steph, uh, my question is going to go about reorganizing the commission itself. There's only five members, and yet everybody's at large. What about district representation? Who are people accountable to? You know, that's a great question. I've gone over that. I've gone back and forth over that issue for a number of years, whether it's better to have district or whether to have it at large. And let me give you both sides of that coin, because I don't know that there's a perfect answer. So just starting with the fact that um, Washington and Oregon, I believe, um, are the only states in the country where we directly elect port commissioners. And so the challenge that we have with the port commission is we are the very bottom of the ballot. People infrequently know, they just don't pay attention to what port commission candidates, who they are, what they do. You know, school board members' um, elections are above port commission elections. So the challenge is how do we get people to pay more attention to who is running for the Port Commission and what they bring to the table? I just want to start with that because there's 1.4 million voters in King County. Um, and yet if you look at the election four years ago, there were only about 385,000 ballots cast for the Port Commission. And so it meant a lot of people didn't even vote for that. Um, when you're looking at districts, you know, I think the city of Seattle is a good example of you know, what happens when you go to districts, right? The city council used to be elected at large. Now it's at district. I don't know that that's really been a good thing for the city of Seattle, um, quite frankly. You know, while I think it can bring more attention to some neighborhood issues, what I, my view on it is that I don't think that we have the appropriate balance within the city of Seattle of members that are at large that are looking out for the entire city. Um, and so I guess that would be my concern, not that I'm opposed to it, but a concern I would bring to having court commissioners elected by a geographic region. Would they only be looking out for that region or would they be considering um, their work looking out for all of the residents of King County? Uh, uh, David, do you have another question? Stephanie, I would just like to ask you, what, what percentage of the contracts went to uh, black-owned firms? I know it 
they were doing well at the airport till COVID struck, stuck in. And I understand the Port Commission extended the leases for some of the minority firms out there. But uh, how is that going right now? Are you satisfied with what you see? You know, I don't have the exact number, but I'm never satisfied with it because it's never been mm. enough, right? And I think you know okay. that when I started on the Port Commission, um, I led the effort, and you, you all were involved in some of this, um, the diversity and contracting initiative that the Port Commission passed a couple of years ago. Um, that was a whole year of reaching out to minority business owners um, throughout King County, those that had won contracts with the port and those that had not. And I went about, I spent a whole year going and meeting with people and saying, what was your experience working with the port? What can we do better? What can we do to bring in more minority contracts and owners and have them be able to benefit from the work at the port? And it really was enlightening because we learned so many things. For example, our staff had their own ideas of what that might be. I learned from the actual business owners, hey, your insurance requirements are too high. You're asking for a $10 million policy when we really only need a million dollars. Stephanie, I hate to cut you off, but we're out of time and we got got to stick to the schedule. So thank you very much. And uh, we'll be talking with you down the road. We have another person. We got to give a a, 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 thank you again. Okay, thank you. So if we have Toshiko and she has four minutes left, Toshiko, how's it going? Are you on? Eddie, can you hear me now? I can now, yeah. We, we got down to about three minutes. <laughs> Go ahead and get started, Ms. Canada uh, Board Commission. My name is Toshiko Hasegawa, and I am a candidate for the Port of Seattle Commission position for experiencing technical difficulties. Thank you so much for your patience. But I really am so excited to talk with everybody. Just a quick, uh, brief intro to me. Um, you know, I was born and raised in the Seattle area. My grandparents immigrated through the Port of Seattle in search of economic opportunity for themselves and set down roots in Beacon Hill which is equidistant between the airport and the seaport because it was one of the only places where Japanese at the time were allowed to live due to the exclusionary redlining laws. And families like mine have seen over the course of generations the impact port operations have had on our communities and access to opportunity and having proximity to their polluting, um, to the pollutants and their operations. Um, Today in my day job, I have the honor of serving as Executive Director of Washington State's Commission on Asian Pacific American Affairs. I work closely um, as a member of Governor Inslee's Subcabinet on Business Diversity to talk about uh, reducing uh, barriers to accessing capital uh, for uh, for minority and women-owned business enterprises, including at the Port of Seattle. Um, I saw tremendously uh, huge missed opportunities to meaningfully support small businesses, micro-businesses, minority women-owned businesses at and around the port when COVID-19 struck. Um, and so I'm running because um, it really has a huge role to play in answering to the economic, environmental, and the public health challenges of our time. And I'm so proud, if elected, I'd be one of the first women of color ever to serve at the Port Commission in 100 years of the port. Um, only four white women and four men of color have ever served. And so um, I'm proud to bring our perspective and our voice to the table, because when you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And you're absolutely right on that one. Now, since we got about two more minutes, I want you to go ahead and talk a little bit about uh, about your background and uh, any activities you've been involved with. Uh, I think I do recall you were president of Japanese American Citizens League at one time. Uh, Could you uh, share some of your background with our listeners? Well, you know, civil rights and social justice is at the forefront of my lens. And when it comes to um, civic engagement and also making government a reflective and responsive entity to the people. Um, you know, as president of Seattle, JCL, I have my intro to the Port of Seattle actually because we were protesting. We were protesting because uh, black-owned businesses and minority-owned businesses, in specific the airport concessionaires at the port, weren't getting fair treatment. And still to this day, I am not seeing enough going on in order to tear down access to that capital access to those economic opportunities and making sure that we are meaningfully supporting people, us 
especially now when the economic situation has never been more dire. I want to be able to fully equip Neon Rice in the Office of Diversity and Contracting uh, and expand his number of FTEs to address his growing workload, especially in anticipation of the tremendous infrastructure package that we got coming in from the federal government. I want to work to be able to meaningfully uh, waive or reduce the fees to even apply to become an airport concessionaire because that threshold makes it inaccessible to so many minority-owned businesses. I want to be able to grant rent adjustments to the ACDBEs because they are still in the worst locations with the least amount of foot traffic, and it is not enough just to extend their lease agreements. They are being disparately charged as compared to white-owned businesses still today. And we have excellent partners, including at Tabor 100. But when I'm elected, if and when I'm elected, I want to establish a matching program with Tabor's Black Business Equity Fund to help get black businesses through the door and and um, and working as airport concessionaires. There are so many things that we can do to identify the disparities, but the rest is just lip service. And I'm running because what some people said has been what well, it's been doing a good enough job. If you talk to anybody, good enough isn't good enough. So I'm here to bring ideas and see them into fruition. Sochi, I have I had a, a, oh, go ahead on, Eddie. No, no, uh, I, I just wanted to thank her. I don't know if we have uh, uh, Tina Oliver standing by yet or not. Do we already? Yes, she's here. Okay. Well, Toshiko, thank you so much. I'm sorry your time was divided up, but you did uh, put forth a message, and we do appreciate your time. So thank you very much. Absolutely. And I will also say that anything short of a separately elected official who is patently absent from lending their voice to make sure that we overturn I-200 is inexcusable. Um, that's the job of separately elected officials to use their power, their presence, and their privilege to see us tear down barriers. And that's why it's so important that we have people who represent us in decision-making authority uh, because, uh, because we don't have folks who are pushing the envelope hard enough on our behalf. So thank you so thank very much. Thank you very much, Social School House. We appreciate you. Okay, our next guest uh, uh, is Nikita Oliver, who was a candidate for Seattle City Council position number nine. Candidate, I'll let you know that Hayward Evans from the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee, and Claude Murphy from the King County Labor Council, and the first vice president of the Seattle NAACP is on the line. So I would like to have you start off. First of all, thank you by uh, taking the time to be on the line today. But if you could start off and give our listeners like a little quick two minute overview about some of the things you've been involved with and about your qualifications and your, your track record. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, well, my name is Nikita Oliver. I use they, them pronouns. I have lived in Seattle for 17 years. I currently live in the Rainier Beach neighborhood, work in the Central District with youth from all over King County, especially our South End youth. I've worked as an educator, case manager, attorney, executive director, and adjunct law professor, as well as an, an artist. I've served in many of our most impacted local communities. Uh, through Urban Impact, the Union Gospel Mission, Seattle Urban Academy, Writers in the Schools, Arts Corp, and now I am Executive Director of Creative Justice, an organization that I helped found and grow to stability that partners alongside some of our, uh, our groups that are on the front lines of addressing violence in our communities, such as Community Passageways, Choose 180, and Collective Justice. I've been working on the front lines of the crisis we are facing, from housing and homelessness to the school-to-prison pipeline, to gun violence and violence prevention, and have pioneered legislation like the Youth Rights to Council Act at the city, county, and state levels, and am a part of launching Restorative Community Pathways here in King County, which is a new diversion program that will help us dismantle the school-to-prison pipeline, and I'm a part of building the Youth Achievement Center, which is housing co-located with services right next to the Columbia City Light Rail Station, which will both help us combat gentrification and ensure that Black and Brown young people can remain in our neighborhoods. We need council members that will not simply represent us, the interests of black and brown communities, but who know what it is, the impact that we're living through and what it means to live in a system that is systematically and institutionalized, keeping us out of having access from those systems through racism. And we need people who can clearly articulate our needs and address them practically and equitably through public policy. My priorities as a council member are green, social, deeply affordable housing, both for the lowest incomes and workers, quality, affordable, rapid 
transit that is connected throughout the entirety of our city, addressing the racial wealth gap, public health and safety systems that work for everyone, and, and progressive revenue generation because we can no longer continue to build our city budget on the backs of those who need us to respond to their needs the most. Uh, we will not fix everything in four years, but I do believe that by having the political will to do it, we can actually build towards a city that is truly progressive, where our young people can thrive and be healthy. Uh, well, we're very concerned with uh, the lack of uh, inclusion and opportunities for businesses and contractors that are owned by citizens of the United States enslaved. Uh, your opponent, I asked her and I asked you the same question. Are you familiar with the condition of businesses owned by in Washington State and the city of Seattle that are owned by African descendants of the United States enslaved? Have you ever reviewed the disparity studies, the eight disparity studies that's been done that indicate that African descendants are doing as poorly as anyone? Uh, and that's one of the reasons we lost the CD. But I just wanted to know if you have taken the opportunity to review those, those studies. Absolutely. And I, you know, I want to say for listeners, because I can't see me, I am a black mixed uh, 35 year old person living here in Seattle. And not only have I reviewed those those uh, statistics, but I live them. Uh, we live in a city where the wealth gap is immense. We see that black wealth by 2040, not just in our city, but nationally will be zero, if not negative in this country. And we also know that a white owned business is worth 12 times more than a black owned business in our city. And so we cannot talk about all businesses the same. We need to be effectively talking specifically about strategies, uh, for black businesses, for black home ownership, for black land ownership. And a part of this will be doing, as, as Toshiko just mentioned, uh, overturning I-200 because reinstating affirmative action is a key for being able to repair the systemic and institutional harms of racism and white supremacy and to be able to directly pour resources into black communities because that is what repair and reparations looks like. I would like to see if Hayward or either Claude Burke has a question or a comment for you, candidate. Uh, Nikita, first, thank, thank you for being here. My, my question is going to go straight to the point. What are we going to do to make sure the Black folks are getting contracts? I'm talking about descendants of the enslaved. I hear all this talk. What's being done to guarantee it? Also, in terms of urban renewal, the weed and seed programs had a devastating impact on Black property ownership. What's going to be done to address that? And will monies be put up even to research it? Everybody seems to skirt that issue. Absolutely. Let's talk about it. And to be quite frank, I don't think we need more research on the problem. We know what, what it is. We know where it exists. And we know what community is most impacted by it. Uh, and I do think I-200 is a significant barrier. We were very close to overturning that recently with I-1000 that lost by a narrow margin. That being said, there is work that we can do right now. And to be quite frank, work I am already doing. Um, in Seattle, we invested in a research project called the Black Brilliance Research Project that focused specifically on Black led research to determine priorities for a participatory budgeting uh, program here in Seattle that will direct funds based on five core needs of Black community. And those core needs included things like access to land, access to home ownership, and access to behavioral health and mental health supports, as well as growing our workforce and pipelines into prevailing wage jobs with benefits. I think we also need to talk about cannabis equity. We live in a state that legalized something that we as the descendants of formerly enslaved Black people were prosecuted for. And now within our state, it is white and wealthy men predominantly who are making a lot of money in that industry. But we have been denied access, not just to working in it, but to having ownership in it. And there is work that the city of Seattle can do. Uh, through our campaign, we have hosted community listening posts. We're working with UFCW 21, which is one of, uh, has endorsed us, the largest private sector union in the entire state, because we are committed to seeing Black community have access to capital and resources to be able to direct and respond to our own needs. I also believe that projects like the Kiro Project that has now been moved into the care of Africatown Community Land Trust, Fire Station 6, and the Youth Achievement Center, which are models of putting land into the hands of Black people, are key to building not just wealth, but ownership in a city that we have made viable, cultural, and a place that people want to live. Nikita, uh, before we go, I'd just like to have your comments, uh, and we got about two minutes, just your comments on uh, police reform. 
Yeah, you know, I'm going to be frank and not mince words here. I do not think that continuing down a road we've been on for many, many years is the ideal way of delivering on the promise of public safety, especially for black and brown communities. I'm a firm believer that the conditions that exist around us are conditions that have been intentionally created by a, an anti-black system. And many of the things that we see have uh, been created and perpetuated by that system. Continuing to try to... Uh, simply reform. I'm not saying we shouldn't do reforms, but I'm saying to only reform um, a department that has used excessive use of force uh, exclusively and in a lot of ways disproportionately against Black and Native people, um, a force that we know is still stopping Black people at a rate much higher than our white counterparts. Um, and we're often searched at a rate much higher than our white counterparts. And there's often that our white counterparts actually are the ones more likely to have weapons or drugs on them at a higher rate than us, uh, we know that there are still significant problems. So yes, we need to put reforms and accountability in place, and we need to make sure that the collective bargaining agreement we enter into does not impede that process. But even more, I think we need to divest from a, a failed system of public safety and invest in one that actually works. This means expanding our 911 responses to have first responders that actually respond to the crisis that people are in. And three years of Seattle 911 data pointed out that at least four 49% of calls could receive a first responder that is not an officer with an, a gun and a badge and really should be someone who is trained to respond to the crisis at hand. These are well, things Nikita, that, we're out of time. I'm sorry. I really no appreciate your, your, your grasp of the issues and we really appreciate your time today. So thank, thank you very you. much, Nikita. Thank you okay. for having me. Okay, uh, Eric, we got uh, Martin Luther King keyed up. need to utter but three words to tell this nation what we are talking about. They aren't big words. You don't need to have a great vocabulary to utter them. You don't need to have a philosophical bent to grasp them. They are three little words. But we want to let the world know that these words describe what we mean and what we are determined to do about racial injustice. One is the word all. We don't want some of our rights. We don't want a few token handouts here and there. We want all of our rights. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Wherever you go, Alternative Talk 1150 is here for you. All right, James. I just uh, Eddie Wright back at Urban Forum Northwest with Claude Burke and Kate Evans. And we've been joined by Jebediah Gardner and Josh Griffin. And I want to go to uh, Josh first and have him introduce himself. Uh, the, both of these guys are members of the committee that's been formed by Lanisha de Bartlevin, 
the president and CEO of the Northwest African American Museum. Her and her staff are doing an outstanding job. And these two gentlemen, as busy as they are, have volunteered to be on the committee, along with Hayward and I. I think Claude might be a member too. But anyway, uh, I want to go ahead and start. So, uh, Josh, why don't you go ahead and take a minute and just tell all our listeners who you are. Yeah, my name is Josh Griffin. I'm currently the uh, Program Operations Specialist here at the uh, Center for Communication, Difference, and Equity at the University of Washington. I started not too long ago. Um, but what brought me here is um, finishing up my degree in Atlanta um, at Emory University. I have a master's degree in international development. And I was present um, down there when Brother George Floyd was murdered. Um, and so I did a lot of organizing in the streets for Martin Watts, um, uh, John Lewis, and a lot of the civil rights activists of the past. And so that just really inspired me to continue this work and why I'm so proud to be working here at the center, because a lot of the work that we're currently doing is focused on equity. Um, and to be able to uh, be a part of this committee here in Seattle is just great, knowing that, you know, I've been able to, you know, go to the, attend the March on Washington um, a few years ago in D.C. and be able to see Martin III speak and then be able to be here in Seattle and hopefully be able to see him speak, too. So I'm just, you know, blessed to be able to be here and um, learn from you all uh, who have walked this path before me um, and be able to give back to the community. Well, that's great. Now, uh, Jebediah Gardner uh, is the CEO of Gardner Global and also has a law degree and is, uh, is developing some major projects. So uh, go right ahead, Jebediah, and share with our listeners uh, a little bit about your background. Indeed, indeed. My name is Jebediah Gardner. I'm the founder and CEO of Gardner Global. We're a, a locally-based uh, real estate investment and development firm. We develop multifamily housing here in the city, specifically um, market rate, workforce, and affordable housing uh, with some mixed-use uh, retail. And we've been around, it'll be 13 years in March, actually, uh, since I started the company, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, but we also are a full-service real estate firm, so we offer property management services, and a, we have a small brokerage team that is out and about helping people buy and sell um, homes. And so our, our whole mission is to build wealth for our community. That is a, a huge, huge integral part of, of our company is recognizing the, the, the major gaps and, and the wealth disparity um, in the black community. And we're using real estate as a vehicle to uh, chip away at that. And so I'm super, super thankful um, and appreciative to be on this uh, committee that's helping steward the 60th anniversary of, of Dr. King's legacy here in Seattle. And, and, and uh, really thankful for, for the opportunity to be on the show. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, with, with the information you just dispensed, I'm sure that uh, Hayward and Claude both said, yeah, we have that brother offline because you got some things going on that we've been trying to encourage other folks to get engaged with and may, and so i know that's some good information for folks to have uh, in terms of uh the committee can you just give our either joshua or jebediah an update on how the committee is working some of the functions and some of the target dates some of the people who are going to be involved it's going to be the fifth sixth and seventh of november and i just say that uh in 1961, uh, uh, in one of the assemblies, he had two assemblies at Garfield, and Larry Gossett, former King County Council member, who transferred to Franklin High School after his sophomore year, was there. Another committee member, Dr. Carver Gaten, was a, a teacher and assistant coach at Garfield in 1961 when Dr. King came through there. And, you know, we know that uh, Reverend McKinney and, and it was a classmate of his for one year. Then Reverend McKinney got drafted in the World War II. Since Dr. King was 15, he didn't get drafted. His second year in college, he was 15. But anyway, uh, there are a lot of things happening. They're going to tr talk about going through all the steps, that all the places that he visited. So uh, why don't you guys go ahead and share that information with our listeners about the workings of the committee and what the targets are and what's going to be going on? Sure, Josh. Did you want to go or do you want me to kind of kick I'll let you go ahead and, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll pick up whatever you might leave out. Uh, sounds good. Sounds good. So, um, you know, I, um, I'm a member on the committee, and, and one of our roles, um, uh, we're on the development committee, and we're tracking, um, the, I guess, you know, a very important piece of, of making sure that this is reality and this happens, and that's the development committee. Um, so helping with the fundraising um, and tracking the fundraising, and uh, I believe I just heard from Lanisha, I think we've, 
we have a goal of $200,000 that we're hoping to raise, and I think we're um, at about $100,000 that we have raised. So I just want to encourage people out there to go to the Northwest African American um, Museum's website. Um, there's a link that has a description of, of the, of the three-day event um, of everyone who's involved, and there's a donate button. That's the most important piece is the donate button. So um, if, you, if you have something uh, that you're willing to, to, to share and donate, please go to the website. Um, we have uh, some nickels and coins that we got to raise to make sure that we can bring um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. III uh, here to Seattle and give him a, a warm, warm welcome. So our role is really focused on tracking the fundraising, you know, making sure we're talking to sponsors and, um, and making sure we reach our fundraising goal so we can make this reality. Uh, it's a three-day event, November, what was it, 6th, 7th, and 8th. And then I've been giving it wrong. <laughs> is it 6th, 7th, and 8th? So, so yeah, that, that's a little bit about uh, our role on the committee. Okay. Now, uh, Josh, why don't you uh, uh, talk about some of the places where events will occur during that three-day period? Yeah, um, so it's going to start off on Saturday, November 6th um, at, I believe, let me pull up real fast the location so we can get that. Uh, it'll be at, I believe, um, the church on 23rd in uh, Madison. Please correct me if I am wrong. Um, there'll be a... a uh, Actually, you know, the first event is going to be at the Martin Luther King uh, Park in Seattle um, on the 6th of November. Um, just kind of a kickoff event, letting everybody know what we're here, what to expect over these, these three days. That Sunday, there will be an event um, where you can be able to ride around the city on your bike if you choose to, to be able to see the different locations that Martin Luther King Jr. Um, was at when he originally came here to town. And then on Monday, there'll be a keynote address by Martin Luther King III at the University of Washington. Um, and to be able to be present for that event, um, you can be a, don a donator um, to that and be able to have breakfast with Martin III, um, be able to hold space with him and other uh, individuals and activists um, from back in the day and, and present. Well, you know, uh, we're going to have someone on uh, every week up until that time uh, from the committee. Uh, so we got, uh, matter of fact, Misha gave me uh, the list already. And then we're also hoping to have Martin Luther King III on, on the, the 4th of uh, the fourth of, no of November. Uh, that would be a couple of days before the actual event. But uh, Josh uh, Griffin and Jebediah Gardner, two of the MLK 60th anniversary commemoration mem committee members, want to thank both of you guys. And eventually, I'm going to talk to both of you guys on a more extensive interview about what you're doing. You're doing some real positive things that people need to hear about. So thank you very much. Okay, Eric, thank you very much. I just want to give a shout out to uh, the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office with Liz Alzier, the Port of Seattle's uh, Diversity Contracting Office with me and Rice and Lawrence Coleman, Sound Transit's uh, uh, Office of Labor headed up by Leslie Jones, the Office of Civil Rights Center headed up by John Tate Robinson, Want to give a special shout out to uh, Nikki Croxton, the supervisor in accounts payable for all the help she's been. And I also want to give Stephanie Ogle, who does our website out. And you heard uh, mention of the folks at the airport, our supporters at Concourse Concessions, and also our supporters uh, at SeaTac uh, Bar Group LLC uh, with the African Lounge and Mountain Bar Group, uh, Mountain Bar Room. And uh, they are two Desert Storm veterans. So I uh, want to thank uh, Hayward Evans and Claude Berkeley once again for sitting in and participating on these uh, very vital uh, campaign forums so we can understand where the candidates are coming from. So this has been Eddie Rye, and we'll talk with you again with some more candidates, some more MLK committee members on uh, next week. So until then, we'll talk to you next week.